Welcome to Culture Matters, a podcast exploring the intersection of faith and culture. Hey guys, we are back for another season of Culture Matters. I'm really excited about where we're going. Last year, we finished the season with a live Q&A. If you guys missed that, you should go back and check it out. It was really fun and it was awesome to see a lot of our listeners face to face. Uh, you sent us a bunch of questions and we were able to answer a few of them. We didn't get to everything. But one of the things that we discovered as we looked through the questions was that there was really a deeper underlying question and that was what's most wise? And so we wanna focus on that, on the idea of wisdom, how we think about events, how we think about cultural ideas, and how we do so in a way that we're not swayed by the ways of the world, but we're steadied by the ways of God. Today though, we wanna catch up on some of the cultural moments that we've missed while on break. So before we get into wisdom later on this season, let's look at some of the headlines. We're going to go on a journey today (laughs) (laughs) through some of the biggest headlines. And we're going to start with Adam. What have you been reading? I, okay. We talked about this before we started recording. And I said, no one wants to know. (laughs) And that's why you're asking me. I'm reading a book called The Physics of Time. I think that's the name of it uh, by a physicist named Carlo Rovelli. It's really interesting. And what he does is he talks about time. And most of how we experience it is an illusion. So if you want your mind blown uh, by kind of a modern science read, popular science read, it's accessible and easy, uh, and it'll have you scratching your chin. So it's it's good. That's fun. Yeah. 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 What about you? What are you reading? I'm reading um, Carl Truman's The Rise and Fall of the Modern Self. Yeah. And The Rise and Triumph. I can't even get the book name. No, I listen. <laughs> um, and so I just, I'm really curious about uh, Charles Taylor's work um, and just the age of authenticity and kind of expressive individualism and truth is resides inside myself. And, right. you know, all of what we see displayed for us on social media and kind of how do we back in there from a discipleship perspective. So I'm trying to read a lot to get an understanding about it mm. and then think about, okay, what does it mean for us if we're trying to disciple people in this culture moment? So we should try to get... Carl Truman on the show. That would be fun. Because he wrote it a couple of years ago, and I'm interested to see like if some of the things, how how he's thought about it since yeah. it's come out. Yeah. yeah. Okay. We should do it. Okay. Yeah. Y'all will see if that actually happens. Yeah, it may not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We are going to start um, with something that is really exciting and actually hasn't happened, to my knowledge, in our American Western history in a pretty long time. And that is a revival. Yeah. Um, We see it happening at Asbury College in Kentucky. And since February 8th, I believe, they have had a nonstop um, revival on their campus in their chapel, singing, worshiping, praying. Um, as of us recording this episode, that's it's been about a week. Yeah. They've had like 20 different other colleges come to join them yeah. in this revival. Adam, what what do you think about this? I mean, you know, I think there's a way to just become cynical really quickly about it. And what I'm really encouraged by is that um so many Christian thinkers and leaders from across kind of a spectrum of denominations and standpoints are actually uh, saying this is like the real deal and this is a good thing. 
regardless of maybe what your specific theological positions are on certain things, they're saying, man, something really, the spirit's moving, God's at work. And uh, I think what's so cool about it is I think what happened, you know, here's the way it started. Uh, They had their chapel, uh, their normal chapel services, and students are sort of starting to move out of the chapel and the band for some reason just kept playing. And so then some people came back in and it just took off in a way. And it's been pretty much nonstop since. I think uh, uh, I know worship pastors from other churches in the area have like come and just like volunteered their time to play for hours on end. And it's really incredible. And it's not, um, I think what's important to know, and maybe you could speak to this some too, uh, Elizabeth, but what's important to know is like, it's not, um, nobody's coming out of there saying like crazy things. What they're, what they're saying is, and, and I don't mean that pejoratively. I just mean, it's not, it's the ordinary. It's like the extraordinary ordinary. What they're saying is like, we're just continuing to worship. We're just continuing to pray. We're just continuing to ask God for things and he's moving. You know, it's, it's not like head headline grabbing things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's this element of our Christian faith where we, we were, we were created to, experience communion with God through worship. And so you have these students who are in this place and like people have said, you can just feel the presence of the Lord Mm. in this building in a really unique and sweet way. And again, it's not anything, you know, outlandish. It's prayer and confession and repentance and just worshiping the Lord. And you have these students choosing to come Mm -hmm. um, to be there you know, evening services, during the day, staying overnight. And you think about just this aspect of our uh, faith journey as the people of God and what we're pointing towards in what it means for us in eternity to be with God is in some sense, this is a glimpse of that, like a little glimpse of just being in the presence of God and worshiping Him and finding joy and fulfillment and satisfaction in that place. Um, I am excited to see kind of the fruit of this, yeah, right? Yeah. Because, you know, this this experience of worshiping God doesn't just stay in the building, no. but transforms how, who we are, how we see the Lord, um, you know, the sin in our life and all those things. And so, you know, with the Second Great Awakening, that revival was hugely influential and helping to get rid of slavery. Right. Like you see these real things happening, missionaries going out, um, evangelizing nations that don't know the Lord, like real work that happens from people who were a part of revivals. And they, this college had a revival back in the 70s. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of known for this type of um, dynamic, but it is, what will the fruit of this one be? Um, and again, a prayer, of worship, of confession, repentance, the things that should be characteristic of us as the people of God. Yeah. And I, here, one thing is, I know people are, some people as they're finding out are starting to drive in, but like for most of us, that's not possible, but maybe, just maybe what could come out of this for you uh, is just maybe to pray some big prayers and some things you haven't thought to pray in a while. If you, even if you just think on a national level or, or world level as the, the nation's super divided, it's like, what could come of this, God? What could you show us? And so, yeah, maybe use it as a time as we're about to enter into a, a season of Lent, which is prayer and fasting and confession. Maybe just use this as the kickoff to that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Did you watch the Super Bowl, Adam? I did. Did with a couple friends. We okay. watched. Um, I got to watch some of it. I have young kids, so we ended up kind of going home and, okay. and preparing for the next day. But I did hear the actual 
uh, game was really great. And okay. as much as I saw, it was really great. Yeah. Okay. How about you? Um, if by watch the Super Bowl, you mean watch the halftime show, then yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Absolutely. My <laughs> wife was the same. Uh, that was the part she didn't want to miss. So who who was the entertainment at the halftime show? Rihanna. Yeah. It was... Rihanna, t- to me, a lot of her songs came out in the 2000s, and that's... I'm going to let y'all figure out how old I was back then. <laughs> um, but just, it was kind of like this nostalgic period. And so it was just really fun. Like, yeah. it wasn't a lot of fanfare. She had her backup dancers. They had some really cool um, kind of, like, stage dynamics with them, like, wires hanging from whatever bar or ceiling in the in the dome. But it was just her and her backup dancers, and she sang her greatest hits. Mm-hmm. That's it. And it just was really fun. I think she had a great performance, and I may or may not have played it several times on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> just for the music. If you think about it and watch it, it's like if you look at today, so much is about an entertainment. You know, we're so meaning starved. That's mm-hmm. the thing that's incredible to me. And you see that everywhere. You just, we make, we put so much into these kind of moments. Even a Super Bowl can become this sort of, you know, it is the sort of militaristic, consumeristic, whatever. You know, if you look at the beginning of the Super Bowl, how many songs we have to sing and make sure everybody's covered and everybody gets spoken to and all the and it you just and it's a football game. Yeah. I mean, at bottom, it's a football game, yeah. and I and I care. Like I'm a sports fan. Yeah. Please, you're, I really am. So I care. I'm not saying I don't, but it is interesting to think how meaning starved we are and how that's related to entertainment is everything's like a big message or it's over the top performances. And one of the things we're hearing about from from this performance is. She did awesome stuff. Like you talked about the wires and everything, but it was actually for a Super Bowl halftime show, it was kind of understated. And everyone's saying it's one of the best ones in a long time. And she didn't have to do that by like preaching a message or, or, you know, going over the top with pyrotechnics or something (laughs) like that. It was just, it was just straightforward. I think back to some of the uh, Super Bowl halftime shows. I just remember one is coming to my head where it was like uh, hundreds of, weird sharks and things and do you remember that <laughs> i don't but i, I think it was it. Katy perry i'm yeah, not trying real. to knock her but it's yeah cool, it's like you know? weird you know yeah. and this one you just watch and you're like oh that's a cool dance that's a cool thing mm-hmm. and here's the hit songs you yeah know? and everybody great. everybody loves the hits and so you might not be a rihanna fan i went to a concert this past uh year and it was one of my favorite artists and she's been out for a really long time and she just sang her hits yeah. like she has a new cd Nobody listens to the new CD. Yeah. We want the hit. And so, <laughs> like, that's what I felt with Rihanna. Like, it just, it wasn't something big and monumental, like you're saying. It didn't have, like, this deep message. It right. was just, here's good music. I hope it makes you happy. Right. I'm sharing it with you. Yeah. And that's it. And she's pregnant. Yes. Good for her. Good for her. Okay. But attached to all this, and, and really maybe some of the main reason we're bringing it up is there is a, con- I didn't even realize until mm-hmm. we started talking, but a controversial ad during the Super Bowl. The ads are typically a pretty big deal. People always talk about commercials mm-hmm. and stuff afterwards, but there was one from the He Gets Us campaign. Um, and it was it was a commercial. I saw it live as it, as it happened, and it was a commercial that basically uh, the message was Jesus gets us no matter where you are. He, he knows and he understands. Um, what did you, did you see it? I did not see, I have seen them before. Though. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 
What did you think and what have you thought of some of the controversy? Well, maybe first give us what is the controversy. Yeah, I mean, you have controversy on the left and the right, which right. I think is interesting mm-hmm. um, because everybody's outraged. Right. And so, one, it's a Super Bowl ad, which means it costs a lot of money. Right. And so people are like, you didn't have anything better to spend your money on than a Super Bowl ad. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the other side is upset because of some of the messaging that they felt was in it. Um, and so, you know, in, I don't know if it was at the very end, but they talk about immigration in, they show visuals right. to point towards immigration and they say Jesus was a refugee. Right. Um, which is not untrue. Yes. And so, right. uh, but because immigration is a hot button issue, um, you have folks on the right who are like, oh, this is, you know, um, you're trying to push forth this really big message that we don't agree with. And so you got folks mad on both sides mm. and, um, What's interesting is that the folks who put the ad out um, said that there, after the ad was aired, that there was a spike and increase of people searching for things about Jesus wow. online. And wow. that really is their, their, they said there was their goal is we want people to be curious. Christianity, the amount of Americans who are identifying as Christian is dropping. Mm-hmm. And so we want to do something to spark the imagination, to get people to be curious about Jesus and want to learn about him. And so, yeah. You know, in terms of going back to kind of like the cynical and stuff, I think there's an attitude about these things where it's like you're just looking for any fault you can find to tear something down. Um, there's an attitude of a Christian where you can kind of be embarrassed. You know, I, I, some people, it's not a major one, but it's like some. a lot of times we Christians will attack Christian things because of their quality, right? So it's like a Christian movie. We're like, oh, gosh, they're horrible or whatever, right? Um and and so there can almost be like a self-deprecating thing, uh, and we seem to eat our own really easily. I guess I would just say I think there is an attitude that's bad, but I also think it's okay to ask good questions about strategy, right? It's okay to say like, what's the best way to spend our money, and to think about it if you're if you're if it's in good faith, not mm-hmm. bad faith, right? And I think um, it's also really great to be able to just celebrate, man, there was a message that millions and millions of people saw about Jesus. And I think you can kind of hold hold all of that in both hands and do so. You know, I guess when I saw it, I thought, man, I hope somebody sees that and it changes their life forever. I hope that's what happens. Yeah. And maybe to just, I for me, I just kind of left it there, you know? Yeah, because it is this, I've seen their commercials before and in in the past few years or more where Christianity really is not um can be a really negative um uh topic mm-hmm. in our country I see them trying to push past that to point people to Jesus in a way again that is relevant for what this culture yearns for yeah which is man wholeness belonging life and they're like, man, Jesus wants to be able to um, give that to you. Mm-hmm. And so, again, yeah, uh, it's those type of things are complicated uh, in terms of what's the right way to use the money, what type of messaging should be in there. Um, but again, people were curious about Jesus. Yeah. And uh, I hope that someone found some information that led them to a relationship with the Lord through watching that commercial. Same, same. 
moving on to another controversial and sad topic is that we've had a lot of mass shootings lately. Um, it seems to perpetually be in the headlines. Now, the latest as of our recording is there was a shooting at Michigan State. Uh, I know a few weeks back there was another large shooting and, and we've, uh, you know, I think anytime you turn on the TV, you see it, but the Michigan State one is the most recent. Um we also had recently the um, killing of Tyree Nichols by the uh, police, um, uh, the six police, uh, and that was just a horrible incident. And so there's unrest yet again in the country. There's questions about violence. There's questions about police brutality, about senseless killings, about hate and racism. And, you know, it just feels for so much of us, it just feels familiar, you know? Um, and I, I don't know, Liz, what do you make of, of especially the, the mass shooting that we've heard recently? Yeah, I mean, it is it is a place in which I think that we as a people need to lament that mm. our faith gives us habits to turn to in these type of moments because there's some things that are just so grievous and so horrible that words don't really, you don't really have words for it. Yeah. And um, they say there's been about at least 60 plus mass shootings in our country since the beginning of the year. Wow. And so you you can't but help to see this rise in violence, this rise, you know, there's a connection to mental illness. Right. Um, you know, who has the ability to own a firearm? You see issues of power with what happened with Tyree Nichols. He is... A uh, uh, black man, mm -hmm. and you had um, black police officers, right? And so, really, the conversation about police um, being able to be one about power and mm -hmm. how we use power well, and how power can be abused, and the ways in which we need to hold people accountable. And so, as a Christian, you know that we, you know, first it's just that we would just lament, yeah, and that image bearers are being harmed, killed, mm. um, or traumatized. I think, and then there's an MSU. The shooting at Michigan State, um, and one of the um, women who were involved had been involved in a mass shooting, or either in I think it was Sandy Hook, Sandy or Hook. Yeah, and so it just is like the effect that this is having on God's people, and that we would mourn and lament for that. Uh, and I think that there is opportunity for us to use our voices to be able to say something obviously needs to change. Right. Um, what that change is, and when we think about um, reform, we think about whether it's guns, whether it's the police, like how we get our minds around that, that's really complicated stuff. Right. Um, and so we want to have grace as we're talking about those things, but that we would be people that said we something needs to be different if we're going to care for those that God has given to us um, with humanity. And that's what we've been called to as image bearers. And so it's the sadness, but to me it's also this, um, to be emboldened to say, man, how can I step into this um, to be able to use my voice so that these things don't happen anymore. Yeah. Because um, we can't just lament. Yeah. Lament has to call us to action in some way, and that's good action that is supported by who we're called to be in Scripture. Yeah. Yeah, I also think of just all the the ways that I some of the ways I process this is like it just seems especially as it relates to the the mass shooting it just the whole formula seems really predictable that the aftermath right uh it's it's almost political theater and I, uh I I am not smart enough to know how to solve the issue please hear me say that um but it I just feel so helpless afterwards you know and I get uh, if I'm really honest I get arguments on both sides it's like there's already hundreds of millions of guns in the country 
banning them now isn't going to take them, you know, or doing whatever these measures are, it doesn't, isn't necessarily going to help anything because there's already hundreds of millions of them. And then on the other side, I'm like, how do we keep these guns out of these kids' hands? And, you know, you just, you kind of scratch your head. And um, I'm not saying this to say people don't need to think through this and we don't need to think through this, but I also, um, I also just want us to remember as Christians, there is something that God does and he he does regardless of what the the political pundits are are talking about you know we can all go and find our person who's gonna you know back the the leanings of our own heart or whatever right but i'm just wondering if there isn't this other voice this voice from jesus who says something very different from both what the left or the right says you know uh Jesus is not standing up and saying things like we hear on TV. You have a right to your guns. He's not saying that. And he's not saying uh, you have no, you know, he's not saying the other side either. So what what does Jesus sound like? And I think that's the question we can ask ourselves and we can know that he's transforming us and he's dealing with sin in the hearts of man even now. Um, and so we have, there's something, I just want to say, if you feel helpless out there, there's something you can do, and that is to return to the Lord, to go to the Lord, to cry out to God, like you said, Elizabeth, to lament. And that's actually something that's meaningful. So um, yeah, I, I just think it's important. You may feel tied up. You may feel like you don't know what to do. And in those moments, that's when God's really powerful. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's when we bring it. We bring it to him, um, knowing that in the moments we feel out of control, that he still is in control. Amen. Now, what is out of control, though, <laughs> are these egg prices. Listen, <laughs> you are a resident I'm economist, sure. as you called me the host. Yeah. I mean, we're just throwing around titles today. <laughs> Making them up. Um, the Fed raised interest rates again. Right. Um, we see that uh, the government is really trying to take efforts to slow down some of the dynamics that we see. Mm-hmm. But from what you're reading and the voices you're interacting with, um, what is, where is the current state of our economy or some things that you think are notable for us to be aware of Yeah, in terms of what we're in, but also maybe what we have to look forward to? Yeah. I mean, look, I'm not an expert in this field and we could, we, we should probably, you know, speaking of trying to get guests on, we should probably have some economists mm-hmm. on. It would be really interesting to kind of go through that with them. From what I'm reading and seeing is the news isn't great, you know? Um, we're talking about trying to have a soft landing uh, into a recession. You might have heard some of those kind of things. I think recession is coming. I mean, I think that we are headed into a recession. The question is is when. Um, and if you pay attention to the history, it's like it's natural. This is part of the natural cycle now, you know. Um, there's a recession that's probably expected. Now, what's making all of this different is just this in question of inflation, and, you know, experts disagree on all the factors that cause it. But what you can't, to your point about the eggs a minute ago, what everybody knows is what they feel and see. Yeah. And the truth is, is that things are really expensive mm-hmm. right now. And it's difficult, you know. Um, I, you know, the older generation will, uh, you know, when we talk about money being expensive for things like purchasing a home or taking out yeah. loans of other kinds, it's like, man, money seems so expensive. And they're like, well, back when I was a kid, it was 18. And it's like, that's true. Yes, historically speaking, it's nowhere near some of the places it was previously, but it, it is ex- more expensive yeah. and we do feel it, right? Yeah. I mean, what are some of the effects that you're hearing? You know, I think it's people 
rent prices are crazy. Right. Um, and housing has been kind of a big factor in the kind of say the economy. We had people buying up homes during the pandemic. You had people moving from places in which the housing prices were considerably different. Right. Um, and so the housing market is kind of in this stuck place. Yeah. Uh, because interest rates, interest rates, even if you are able to afford the price of a home, the interest rate makes it unaffordable. Right. And so, you know, I hear people either rent now is gone up because the demand and supply. You can't get a home, you need an apartment. And so it's just uh, rules of demand and supply. And so yeah. rent prices are really high. And so that's where I hear it is in cost of living. I hear it in food. I hear it in, man, I can't, I want to be able to get into something that's more stable, but I can't get into a house. Right. Or people who, um, I had a friend who moved back home because her rent went up $600. Right. Like, that's a lot. That's a lot. Um, and so... It's hard to buy a car. It's hard to buy a car. Somebody was telling me that a very small car, yeah. no names given to protect the innocent, yeah. was like $40,000. Yeah. And I was just like, yeah. I mean, it's nuts. I'll be... I'll say the names. It's like, dude, when I was growing up, if a car cost $100,000, it was like a supercar. Yeah. You're talking like a Ferrari yeah. or something like that. And I get that... that Prices raise over yeah. time, you know, but the types of cars now that are a hundred thousand dollars, like a Jeep Wagoneer, Mm-mm. I mean, like I, mm-hmm. I'm just like, how is it? And those are super nice cars. I'm not yeah. saying that, but that 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 can be a hundred thousand dollars plus. It's just I something's wrong, you know, and it's kind of out of it seems out of control. Yeah, and people are being hurt by it. You know what the long term effects are? We don't know. the The other thing that you know. It, if you are paying attention, there's really interesting demographic shifts happening right now. One of the things that I've read a lot about is baby boomers, which are the largest employed generation, the largest generation that we've had in recent history. Gen Xers follow them. They're much smaller generation. Um, They're about to hit the median age is about to be 65, which is retirement age. So you're about to have a huge amount of people leave the workforce. We already have too few people to fill the jobs here. And so that's another factor that I've read about that's driving inflation. And so we already have, we have 400,000 more jobs than we do people to fill them. And um, what that means is that, uh, you know, it, it, it has an effect on inflation. What what it means from a demographic perspective is as more and more people are retiring, you're going to have, again, a larger and larger shortage of workers, um, and that's going to have continuing negative effects. Now, who knows? You know, the ways that America has historically been able to offset that is through immigration, honestly, and with – you know, movement being harder and all those things, right? It's not a political thing. It's just economics. Yeah. It's it's harder to fill those jobs. So I did hear one economist say that right now money is probably as cheap as it's going to be for the next 10 years, only owed to these demographic shifts. Yeah. Who knows? These guys, it's so funny. One of my favorite things to do is read the predictions of economists and look at how often they're right. They're right very few times. Yeah. It's funny. So it's like the modern day Nostradamus, you know? But um, but still, it's it's I respect the profession. I'm not saying I don't respect it. I'm just saying, you know, God can do whatever he wants. Yeah. And uh and and there's so many human factors that are hard to read and predict. So I I don't know, but ultimately my hope's in Jesus. So Yeah. Yeah. Cause then you have these you have this dynamic of we feel it in, in our pockets. Right. We feel that things are more expensive. You know, there's plenty of people who make their living and giving opinions 
on why things are becoming more expensive and how we can look forward to different factors. Um, but like you said, which really is kind of the thing for all these stories is um, that we talked about today is that our trust is in the Lord. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we there are many times there are really big issues that we don't have control in that yeah. God gives us vision. And I think that's one thing I love about Scripture is you see um, ordinary people, story after story of ordinary people using the resources that they had to make impact wherever, whether that circle was big or small. Um, and so we're not a people that don't have anything at our fingertips. Mm. Um, but it is that that vision and confidence and trust and comes in the Lord. I love talking to um, my parents, um, my grandparents when they were alive, because they do tell a story, well, you, back in our day, yeah. you know, things like this, but they made it through. Mm-hmm. You know, and their habits might have had to change. They may have had to come together as a community, but they made it through. Yeah. And um, I think that that is something we need to hold to because the stories can be really hard and really heavy. Mm. And we can get really, um, um, can be weighty in terms of, man, this is just, it's not getting any better. Um, but when I think about things like that ad on the Super Bowl, mm. people are still trying to find creative ways to let the main thing be the main thing, mm. which is that the gospel goes forth and people learn about Jesus. Amen. And so that we keep that on the forefront of our minds and not be too controlled by the stories that uh, have the tone of negativity um, and heaviness that take our eyes away from hope in Jesus. Amen. Yeah. As I think about what we said earlier about um, people being meaning-starved, and I think about what you said about your grandparents, what's interesting is we live in the time of the least poverty, mm-hmm. best medical care, longest lifespans, most secure jobs, most, you know, all of it. I could keep going on and on, most technologically advanced. And the interesting thing that happens alongside this demonstrable, I mean, factually true. I'm not saying life's not hard. I don't mean it that way or that we don't go through ups and downs, but I'm saying like from a holistic perspective, birth rates, all those kind of things, demonstrably, I mean, infant mortality rates, excuse me, we live in the safest time ever, and yet we are more afraid now than we've ever been. What is that about? And I think part of it is we've been unmoored as a society, as people, as what, you know, from the underpinning that provided a foundation of knowing we're kept and safe and loved and our future is assured and all that. And so I think you said this, Elizabeth, and I'm just saying it a different way, but like, I think what, how should we be distinctly Christian during these times is to not imbibe and buy into all the fear and the 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 way that the world is reacting by becoming more angry and divisive and outraged and helpless and desperate and all these things and then latching on to things we know as Christians aren't going to be able to solve the problem i think you know to your grandparents point it's like they had they did they they more people were dying of preventable diseases back then they had less income there was less you know all these kind of things and yet somehow there was a there seemed to be more steadiness as christians i think we can be distinctly steady during these times not because we don't go through pain not because we don't go through suffering or crisis but that because while while the earth shakes and while all these things happen we can be still and know that god is god do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. And so yeah. we can we can actually have the kind of countenance, inner peace, and and um 
uh, a steadiness that only comes through knowing that our future is secure in Jesus. Thank you for listening to Culture Matters. This episode is produced by Chelsea Conway and is a production of Good Podcast Company. If you're a regular follower of the podcast, we would love to hear from you. You can message us on social. Check the show notes for more information on how best to connect with us. See you next time.